You are now listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part three of our sermon series entitled Reset. Please enjoy. Everybody say reset. Don't you love the reset button? Resetting in, in certain circumstances just means you get to cancel out all that was. Get a clean slate and start over brand new, isn't it? That's the beauty of the reset button. And, and the reset button for you and I is the grace of God. It gives us the ability maybe not to forget everything in our past, but to at least be forgiven of everything in our past. That's a good thing. And God to give us a fresh start. And no, we can't rewrite the history of our past. We can write the future by giving our lives to him and by actually saying, God, how would you like me to live my life moving forward? And how can I best serve you and surrender my life to you? And so this idea of reset is this, is that it's the end of the month of August. And at the beginning of this year, many of you set out to do certain things, to accomplish certain things, to maybe become new things. And, and life has the ability just to to weigh you down, to pull you aside, to distract you, to overload you in other areas to where you forget about those original goals. And and for the last few weeks, we've taken a look at, like, where does God want you to take a reset? And, And we started with this big, huge thing that if you don't reset your time, resetting everything else is really, really difficult. Because when you don't have time left over, and if you don't have margin when it comes to your time, you don't have the ability to do all the things that God would have you do. That without a little bit of extra time, you don't have rest. Without a little bit of extra time, you know, you don't have time with God. And without a little bit of extra time, you don't have time for the people that matter the most to you. Last week, we we, we took it the next step further and said, you actually need a little bit of margin, not only in your time, but you need some margin in your finances, don't you? How many would like to have more? Left over at the end of the day, the end of the month, the end of the, you'd like to have more. How do you do that? It's a simple numbers thing. When you spend all that you have, you have zero left over. And so for you to get margin, and and what do we say? We say that the greatest things in life happen in the margin. That without margin in your finances, you can't give and be generous. Without margin in your finances, you can't save and, and, and think about your future or help put your kids through college or knock away that debt that God wants you to be free of. And so God wants us to have financial margin. This week, again, we just keep the ball rolling. And I really believe that for many of us, now here's what you need to know about our church. We kind of determined to do a marriage series every year. And it's for the reason of helping you reset your marriage. That, that usually in February, we just take a, a few weeks and say, let's talk about marriage because marriage can be difficult. Marriage can be challenging. Can I get, can I get a witness? Okay. So yeah, don't, don't act like it ain't. So so, but, but how many know, some of you in, in February, if you were here, you made some like turnarounds. I bet you made some new challenges for yourself, some new goals for yourself. You made some commitments to your spouse and said, hey, we're going to be better at this. Or we're going to work on these things. And so I want to encourage you that, you know, you, you've come again all the way through the year and, and life has happened. Commitments have come up. Things have come up to strain that you didn't foresee coming. And they kind of took you away from maybe some of those original goals. This morning, I want to talk to you about how do you reset your marriage. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that you would let your words speak to us. And that, God, you would let your words frame the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we make decisions, the way that we treat one another. And, God, I just pray that you would let... God, these truths, these ideas, and these principles reset everything that we have going on, particularly 
in our marriage, Lord. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said? Now, here's, here's the, the caveat I need to give you this morning, because I get, and I thought about this as I was working, working into this message, and I thought, you know what? There, there's a number of different people that are in this room, and, and I actually know people who, they know when our marriage series is coming, and they purposely avoid it. Because their marriage uh, in the past was so difficult, and, it's not, and, and they, they just say, hey, pastor, I love you. I'll be back in four weeks. See ya. And I, you know what? Most of the time, I get it. And my heart breaks for them. And, and, and so, like, I want you to know, if you're in here today and you're like, gosh, I got caught off guard. He didn't say this was coming up. I, I want you to know that, that, that God loves you dearly. And no matter what happened in your past, that God still, I think, would love to encourage you with some of these thoughts and ideas. And here's why. Because for those of you who maybe are not married anymore and used to be, there's a good chance that you might be married in the future. And I know you need a reset before you get there. I know that for some of you, you, you might say, hey, I, I know I'm done with the marriage thing. And I will ne- then here's what, here's what else I know. I know you love people still. And I know you're going to have friends and family and, and loved ones around you. And they're at some point going to go through a difficult time in their marriage. And it could just be that today God will give you just that one little nugget of wisdom that will alter the course of their marriage. And so, so hang with me today. I know there's some of you who are single in here today. And so real quick, single people, raise your hand. Single people. Hey, li- listen, if you're single out here, you sometimes are the most important people I want listening to this sermon. And every marriage person will agree with this. We look at our marriage sometimes and think, man, had I only started out a little bit stronger, had I only started out on the right foot, had I known these things 10 years ago, married couples, can I get an amen out there, had I known back then what I know now, and so if you're single out there, I'm telling you, one of the most important things you can do is lock in with me, because if you will renew your mind towards these truths and ideas now before you get married, you're going to look like a marriage genius. People are going to look, but how did you know? How did you know? And you see, I was taking notes back when I was 19 or back when I was 25 or back when I was third when I was single and I remember locking in so that when I started marriage I already was practicing the right things and then for obviously the most important people that this series might be for is for the people who are married right now and this is what we all know as married people don't we we know that that marriage can be one of the most satisfying and fulfilling things in all the world and we also know that at times marriage can be the most difficult and draining thing in all the world. So how is it that we can actually reset our marriage? Because we live in a day in society where 50% of marriage is in divorce, don't we? I don't know what the other countries are. I don't know what the other nations of the world are. I don't know what their statistics are. But I know in America right now, if, 50%, if I told you that 50% of planes crashed, would you go fly? I hope not. You know, I mean, you hope, you hope you got a little more sense than that. You know, like, 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 so, so what we're talking about is, is that America as a whole has approached, can I get some agreement here? America as a whole has approached marriage probably the wrong way. But here's what I know. If we'll do marriage God's way, it is the most amazing and beautiful and wonderful and blessed thing that you can do. And it works every time, I promise you. And so today I want to give you just a few things because for those of you who are married, you know there's ups and downs, there's ebbs and flows, there's seasons and cycles where things are better than others. But right now what I would love for you to do is to reset your marriage. And the first thing I want you to do is this. Everybody say reset your romance. Yeah, reset your romance. Here's what I believe. I believe that, that if you study marriage trends and marriage statistics that you'll find that, that there's that early dating stage. And that's awesome because, like, 
you're learning all kinds of new things and you're figuring out new things and going on dates and be like, oh, he just touched my arm. Did he mean to touch my arm? I don't even know. And so, and, 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 and if and it, it, you're like, oh, this is what he texted me. What, what does that mean? Or this is, or these are his friends on Facebook. And you get all these weird little dating, dating things and then you get more serious and you get more committed and eventually you move into, into the, the engagement period and that brings a whole new world of issues. And then you get into that early year of marriage, which is what we call the honeymoon period. And, and statistically speaking, that's where you do more of that thing than you do um, for the rest of your life combined. You know, that, that kind of a thing. And so there's that just ecstatic honeymoon phase. There's young minds. And so... Um, and, and so, you, 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 but, but then there's this thing where love seems to like wane a little bit because then, you know, my job got more stressful and then I had to commute more and so I was at home less and then kids and what kids did to the marriage because you know the old saying is that, is that um, well, marriage makes little kids but little kids makes less of that in marriage. And so, um, so, so you have that dynamic and then you have, and then you have what's called the seven-year hump. I don't know if you're familiar with this. In psychology, they call it the seven-year hump that so many marriages have a hard time getting over the seven-year hump. And, and, and let me encourage you why. The, the reason why the seven-year hump is there or they talk about a honeymoon phase and that being over at some point is because we forget that we need to constantly, always be renewing and resetting our romance. There's something that's in us to be desired. Did you ever think about it like that? Like you and I, I don't care if you're 20 or if you're 60, you want to be desired, don't you? You want to be pursued a little bit. You want to be adored a little bit. You want to be chased after a little bit. You want that other person in your life to do little things that catch your attention, that make you feel special. Everybody feels that way. Which then begs the question, then why do we stop doing this? Because in our marriage, something just gets a little bit too familiar, and we let circumstances weigh into where we stop doing the little things that we used to do. Do you know that Jesus talks about this idea when it comes to his relationship with you? As a matter of fact, let's read it together. In, in the book of Revelation, he's talking to a group of Christians. He says, hey, I've got this thing against you. I've got this problem. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. Now, that's kind of a big, you know, like, you used to love me. Now, you don't love me like you used to love me. You ever heard those words before? We just don't, we just don't like this like we used to. We don't like the way you used to. That's Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you don't love me like you used to. Remember when you first got saved? You were kind of nutty even. So on fire, you were like a blowtorch, burning up folks, telling people about Jesus, excited to read your Bible, excited to sing songs of praise. You used to be like that. But you've forsaken that first love that you had. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do what? Do the things that you used to do at first. Even in your relationship with God, there seems to be a honeymoon phase, isn't there? Like, you, Do you remember maybe those first months or first year or two of being a brand new Christian and the excitement that you felt? And maybe you don't feel that anymore. Can I encourage you? It's probably because you don't do the things that you used to do as a new believer. And when it comes to your marriage, the reason why you don't feel the same way that you used to feel is because you don't do the same things that you used to do. Like ladies, like you used to like get your toes did, you know what I'm saying? And do the perfume thing and shave your legs and put on the nice underwear and put on the nice undergarments and put, and you used to, th and you used to change your outfit two or three times before you knew which was the right one before you went on that date with him. Girls, don't you look at me like that. Tara Lee, if I went back into our dating history, I know how you was. Hey, my wife, let me, let me tell you this though. 
my wife has still got the goods. My wife still, because this is what we're going to talk about, my wife still works hard at trying to make sure that I feel loved and desired. My wife does an incredible job. It's the way she, she dresses and takes care of herself and the little things she does for me, the little things she says. My wife is incredible. Why do you think I learn all this stuff? Here's what I do. I take notes from what my wife does, and then I tell them to y'all. And then I usually take notes from what I do, and I tell you to do the opposite. And that's typically how all my marriage teachings work anyway. So, so I'm telling you, but like, go, guys, you used to work at Be Charming. Like, you used to work at, like, having, like, smooth moves. And you used to smell good when you went on a date. You, I mean, you used, to, you used to just go out of your way to try to make her laugh, to try to make her smile. You used to do silly, dumb things to try to make her smile. Why did you stop doing that stuff? I'm telling you that the way that you reset your marriage is that you go back to the way that you used to do it. And if I could tell you one thing and give you one nugget of encouragement, it's this, is go back and date your spouse. Go back and do it the way that you used to do it. Go back and be charming and smell good and put on them clothes and, and, and put on your game face. Get re- go do the things that she wants to go do even though you don't like going to do those things. Because that's what you did to win her. And what you do to win her is the best way to keep her. And especially keep her feeling romantic. And ladies, it's the same thing. What I'm saying is this. Don't mail it in anymore. Them big old long flannel nightgown jam. You need to burn those. That is death certificate to marriage right there. Yeah, burn them flannel long jam. I don't care how cold. You should be cold. And uh, go snuggle. Okay? Go get a snuggly and get under the snuggly with him. Okay? Whatever it takes. But get rid of that flannel. And go back. And don't mail it in anymore. Sometimes we stop doing that. We stop caring about maybe how we look or how we talk or the things we do or how often we take them out. Go back to caring and don't mail it in, but go back and actually date your spouse. And so here in light of this, some of you, for those of you who look at your marriage right now and say, you know what, our romance is a little bit on the weak side right now. You know what your job is? You know what the walk away is? I want you to go and plan a date right now. Start thinking about what would be a great date to take him on or her. Because there's another misconception. Is sometimes you ladies think that you're always romantic and that he never is. Let me tell you what. That's probably true most of the time. But ladies, you know what you can do is go do things that are romantic to him. Does that make sense? Romance does not always mean chocolate and flowers and dancing. That's what it means to you. And guys, you should go do that if that's what's romantic to her. But you know what, ladies? I'm going to give you a shocker real quick here. Do you know that sometimes what's romantic to him is completely different? Sometimes what's romantic to him is football and ribs. Guys, can I get a witness out there? Yeah, like, like, and, and I guarantee you, if you went and put on his favorite jersey and you went and got some ribs and you cuddled up with him on the couch to watch a football game, it would blow his mind. And I guarantee you there'd be some romance later on. So anyway, just, just trust me. I want, you to, I, want you to reset your, I want you to reset your romance. Number two is this. I want you to reset your communication. This is a huge area of, of marriage, and we know it. We all know, now, now here's one of the things that I find that I run into when it comes to pre-marriage couples or counseling couples who are having a hard time, is that most of us never, ever, ever had any training when it comes to being married. Is that, is that pretty, how many of you ever took a class on how to be a great husband? How many took a class on how to be a great wife? How many, no, oh my Lord. Now, it, it, okay, so that makes it bad enough. Now we go into the question of then how did we learn marriage? Well, most of us learn marriage from what we saw modeled by our parents. Now, I'm not saying all your parents are awful, but how many out there say, hey, I had incredible mom and dad uh, relationship to follow and to model? Yeah, a few of us do. A few of us. But like if you look, the majority of us didn't. 
The majority of us, therefore, don't know maybe how to communicate. For us, communicating was the dad that was quiet and never said anything, or maybe it was the opposite, and it was the dad that yelled and insulted and was mean and was harsh with their words, or maybe it was a little bit of both. So, so none of us have this model. Can I tell you, one of the things I find when it comes to marriage counseling is this, is that we actually are not good. I was going to say a different word. We actually are not good when it comes to learning how we communicate with one another. I'm going to give you a verse to lay, this, to lay the tone for this. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. We could just stay right there for like the whole day, wouldn't we? We could probably build a sermon series right there around that. Let no cor- what is a corrupt word? Is A corrupt word is something that tears down. A, a corrupt word is something that deteriorates something else and somebody else. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what kind of words then? The words that are good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, how many believe that's a true, true verse? Okay, here's what we do many times, though. We read a verse like that and be like, you know what? As a Christian, you're right. I should speak better words. Okay. As a husband, you should let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good and edification, or good and necessary for edification and imparting grace to your wife. Ladies, you know what that means for you? Because you can't take the Bible and just say, oh, isn't that cute? That's what sweet little Christians should do. Mm-hmm. Every believer should do this. But we're dealing inside of our home. And when we apply this to our home, you know what we find is that, ladies, we should be, we should be. You should be. I usually hate saying you should do this and you should be that. But when it's women, I have to. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be in the we category with you. Ladies, you should be applying that same scripture and say, you know what, when I examine the words that I speak to my husband, because some of us would be like, well, if he did something to encourage, I would encourage him. You don't know. I'm my worship leader in the back laughing. Sorry. Um, I didn't expect laughs from behind me. Um, so letting no corrupt word, and, and here's, I'm going to give you like one tool. I'm just, I can't give you everything. This is a reset, so I'm throwing a whole bunch of stuff at you. I can't cover everything. But you know what? If I could just give you one piece of advice, it would be to learn this one tactic into this one tool, and it's this. Stop using you statements and start using I statements. When, if you were to watch your communication and watch the way that you talk to your spouse, do you know that when it comes to anything outside of casual conversation, when you have to bring up an issue or talk about something seriously, you know that most of the words that you speak start with a you statement? Let me give you some examples. They're pointed. They have an attack to them. You wouldn't think that, and that's not your intent, but they come out that way. Um, hey, your mom is crazy. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, like, you starting out the gate saying your mom is crazy, like, you're picking a battle, like, you're picking a fight, when, when maybe, 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 we start off with, hey, I'm just a little bit worried that with your mother, that, and, you, and you would break it off just a little bit, but the very fact that you start out with that, you, let me give you an example, well, you don't ever take me out anymore, that's how we would communicate that, and on the inside, you, ladies, you have a deep desire to be taken out. And the element of romance to be back in your marriage. But this is, I'm telling you, that's just the wrong way to say it. Because what you're doing is, is you're posturing yourself for a fight. Isn't it? As soon as you make a you comment, it's an attacking phrase. And every person, when they're attacked, naturally does what? Defend. And, and we're Americans. Red-blooded. You know what that means? There's nothing, you know, the, the best defense is a good offense. That's what we believe in America. And so... So you start throwing attacks or throwing insults or throwing jabs. And we just fire back. Let me give you a couple other ones. 
well, you're a workaholic. It might ought to come out a little bit more like this. Hey, I would really like to spend more time with you. How about not working this weekend and let's do something together? You see the difference in the tone that it sets? And I'm telling you, look, look. I can't say that one. <laughs> I wrote so many down, but now I'm like, I don't think I can say that. <laughs> hey, why are you so terrible with money? I've heard guys say that to their wives. Like in public. Hey, why are you so terrible with money? It's a you statement, isn't it? Why don't it come out a little bit more like this? Hey, sweetie, I'm, I'm really worried about our savings. Let's come up with a plan for saving more and cutting back our spending. You see the difference? It's subtle, isn't it? But I'm telling you this, if you learn that one tactic and that one tool of saying I statements instead of you statements, it would change the way that you talk. Because here's what I would love for you to be. Number, if you put this on screen, is I want you to be your spouse's greatest source of encouragement. I want you to be your spouse's greatest source of encouragement. How many of us could really say that right now? And, and, and now here's, here's the funny thing. Your spouse is the most important person on planet Earth to you. But we don't treat them like that, do we? We treat like them like they're common. We treat them like they're everyday usage. We, they're like paper towels. We use them up and throw them away and use them up and throw them away. And you just keep pulling because they're just always going to be there. And so you just keep coming and keep pulling and keep pulling. But then you, hey, what if you treated them like, like fine china? You know what I'm talking about? What if you treated them like they were incredibly special and important? You would change the way that you talk to them, wouldn't you? But it all starts with beginning to see your spouse differently and not see your spouse as just some type of everyday use, but see, see your spouse as the most important person in your life. How would you talk to the most important person in your life? Wouldn't you talk to them with a little bit of respect, with a little bit of kindness? Wouldn't you change your tone? You already do that. Because whenever you talk to somebody of great importance, no matter what kind of a mood you're in, you automatically begin to change the tone and the words that you choose, because you know, well, no, 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 I can't talk to them. I, I respect them a lot, or they're really, really special to me. What if we began to see our spouse as the most special and important person in our life so that we can become our spouse's greatest source of encouragement? Because sometimes in our homes and our marriages, sometimes we're the greatest source of criticism. Let's reverse that. Let's reset our communication. Number three is this. If you can do those first two, then this is going to be huge. The third thing is this, is then you'll be able to reset your friendship. Hey, this is huge. This is, to me, the biggest issue in marriage that I see today. As a matter of fact, when I look at like why marriages don't last and why marriages fall apart, it's because somewhere this begins to degrade. And there, there, sometimes it's because of the way we dated. Can I tell you real quick here that one of the reasons that we have a hard time being friends in our marriage is because of the way that we dated? Let me make some sense of this. Many of us, because of our culture and our society, we started dating quickly, and therefore we engaged in sex quickly inside of dating. And you know what dating does? And when you start having sex inside of dating, it clouds everything. It confuses everything. It, it's backwards. See, the reason why God says to wait to have sex until after marriage is because God is a genius. You never thought of it like that before, did you? You always thought that God wanted you to have, wait and have sex because God was a fuddy-duddy. And because God doesn't know how great sex is, he, that he just didn't know, so he said no. It's not because he's a fuddy-duddy, it's because he's a genius. That's a way of saying that God has infinite wisdom and infinite insight and infinite understanding and foresees the future. Isn't that true of God? So you know why God says don't have sex before marriage? 
is he knows this, that when you have sex before you actually cultivate and develop a strong friendship, you have to work harder at getting it back. The reason why some of us have, have no, and this is what I find in marriages, is that you get together, opposites attract because you're so intrigued by the differences and the uniqueness of that other person. You introduce sex too soon into the relationship. It clouds everything, and then you stay in that relationship long enough to where the only obvious next step is, well, we should get married then. And then you get married, and then you get a year down the road, and you realize, I don't think we have a lot in common. I actually don't enjoy being with you. I don't even think I like you. And you would think, how did two people go from being madly in love with each other to be like, I don't even like you. How did you get there? You didn't do this. The geniusness of God's wisdom is that when you date, as a matter of fact, this is the way I would draw it up for you. If I could use biblical wisdom and draw it up for you, if I got to be the dictator of your life and say, this is how you're going to do it, I would say this, is that when you find somebody that you think you really, really like, I want you to date them for at least a year. For at least a year and cultivate a great friendship with them. Never introduce sex. Because this is what I find. When you introduce sex into the relationship too early, you make lazy men and you make insecure women. You make lazy men and you make insecure women. I don't understand the insecure women part, but I totally understand the lazy men part. Because you're having your cake and you're eating it too. And so you check out on the romance, you check out on the friendship, and then you get down the road in marriage and you wonder why you don't relate maybe the way that you want to. It is because, it's because we did it the world's way instead of doing it God's way. Can I encourage you? God wants you to have a great friendship inside of your marriage. And now most of you in this room, most of you, we had confession moments, most of you say, yeah, I think I did it the wrong way. Listen to me. Just because you did it the wrong way doesn't mean it's impossible to get it back. All things are possible with God, and he has the ability to redeem all things. So don't say, oh, well, Pastor Todd said we did it wrong. We're hoes. This is never going to work out. We We should reset everything, you know. That's not what this series is about. But it's about saying we didn't do it right, so that means we need to work harder at trying to reset our friendship and make sure that we have a great friendship in our marriage. Can I get an amen out there? Proverbs 17, verse 17 says this, that a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. I'm telling you what, there's no greater feeling than have your wife be your best buddy. Ladies, I just want you to know that. That's the way we really feel. We, we have a hard time saying it. That's what we really, if, if, if our lady was our best buddy, it's just the coolest thing in the world. When our lady wants to go do things with us, or have, and so here's my encouragement to you. If you say that's the area of our relationship that's kind of struggling the most, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and enjoy life together. Find a hobby. Go find things to do together. I grew up in a home where I saw my parents do completely opposite things almost their entire lives. Dad went hunting. Mom went antique shopping. You know, dad was watching Sports Center, Mom was watching HDTV and the Food Network. Can I get a what, what? So, and, and they're all throughout. There, and it wasn't until, like, me and my brother moved out of the house that they ended up having a lot more time together. And I really think this. They started to rebuild their friendship. It's intentional. It takes effort. It takes thought. It takes planning. It takes some creativity. But for those of you who say, yeah, I never do things with my wife, here's what I want you to do. Start scrapping some of the things that you do on your own. Kill them, sacrifice them, get rid of them, and start doing at least one or two things with your wife and start enjoying life together. Start doing life together and enjoying your friendship with one another. Everybody say amen. Which, by the way, that also means you don't watch your favorite TV show without them. I just want to put that out there. How many of you watch a TV show together with your spouse? You do that, you do that. 
It's a cardinal sin to watch the TV show like without your spouse. I'm saying that so a particular woman in this room hears that and never watches that show again without me. I go to watch, I'm like, hey babe, we're going to watch the show? I won't tell you what show it is, but hey babe, we're going to watch the show? And, and she's like, uh, she knows she got caught. And she's like, well, we may have to start in the middle of one. I'm like, what? In the middle of one? You started watching one without me? She goes, yeah, kind of like one and a half. You know, cultivate, cult, hey, cultivate your friendship. I love you. Number four is this, and this is the most important thing, and this becomes the foundation for everything. But as a couple, as a marriage couple, you have to reset your devotion to God. There's another problem we run into with culture, and it's that we sometimes see marriage as some type of contract. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. It's a spiritual union. When God saw Adam and Eve in the garden, he described marriage. He described it like this. He goes, behold, a man will leave his father's mother and be joined to his wife, that he would literally cleave to her and that the two would become one. That's a spiritual union. Paul goes on later to describe it too when, we, when he enters into the element of, of correcting them on sexual behavior. He goes, hey, look, when you have sex with another person, you're becoming one with that person. That's why we don't just run around. That's why we wait for the right person and we do it God's way so that way sex is meaningful and beautiful inside of the covenant of marriage. That's the way that God intended it to be. And he goes, the reason why I don't want you doing that is because sex is a spiritual thing. Like, did you ever think of it? Like, sex is spiritual. That's not just flesh. That's spiritual. Your marriage, even more so, is spiritual. Which means this, there must be spiritual elements involved in your marriage. Which not only means that, but it's going to be spiritually attacked. Why do you think marriage is so difficult? It's not just you fighting against them. It's you fighting against the tide of culture, and it's you fighting against your spiritual enemy, Satan. There's a spiritual war. Satan wants nothing to do with healthy marriages, and he would like to see them all destroyed and all look bad because marriage, I'm telling you this, marriage at, at its finest is a representation of who God is. Think about it. How does God describe Jesus and the church as Jesus being a groom and the church being the bride of Christ? It describes Jesus like as a husband who gives sacrificially and lays his life down for the church. And he goes, that's what a husband should do. And he describes church as being a, a group and a body of people who submit their lives to Jesus. And he goes, that's how a wife should look to her husband with honor and reverence like that. And he goes, that is what the relationship with God and mankind looks like. And the most beautiful picture I can tell you is this. It's like a marriage. See, marriage is spiritual. But because we don't think of it like that, we just live it carnally or we live it just with our mind or our thoughts or our feelings can i tell you this that you need to recognize that god must be the centerpiece of your marriage without that you're on your own without that flip a coin it's gonna be probably 50 50 maybe the odds weigh in your favor if you were taught some things and maybe you had some really good parents modeling for you i'm not saying you can't a marriage can't survive without god clearly some do but i'm telling you the odds are so 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 stacked against you Marriage is spiritual. Listen to these words out of Hosea chapter 2. Listen to this. This is how God in the Old Testament described his relationship with Israel. He described it like a husband and a wife. And he says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. This is the way that God describes himself in Israel. Why? Because marriage is spiritual. Normally, we think about churchy religious words, and then we think about marriage words, right? 
We think righteousness and faithfulness and justice, those are churchy religious words. Marriage words, those are different. God says, no, no, they're the same. You know what you need between you and your spouse? Righteousness. Yeah. How are you righteous with God? You come to him and you ask for forgiveness. How are you righteous between your spouse? You come and confess and ask for forgiveness. And some of you marriage, some of you are so stubborn you will never say you're sorry. Some of you are so stubborn that you can't dare thought, or risk the thought of saying, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? It, it would just, it would, your pride would implode against you. What if we added righteousness into you? What if you added justice to your marriage? Where you literally thought before you made decisions, what would be right by her? What would be right by him? What would be the best decision I could make by them? And not think of myself first. That's what justice is, right? What, what, if, you, what if you operated in your marriage according to loving kindness? Literally meaning this, acts of kindness towards another person. God said, that's how I want to be towards you. That's not spiritual. I mean, that's not, that's not just a religious term. That's a spiritual term, and marriage is spiritual. What if you operated and thought, what, what can I do to go out of my way to show an act of kindness to my spouse today? What else was there? He said righteousness, justice, loving kindness, mercy. What if we were more merciful with our spouse? Have you ever thought about that? You know what mercy is, right? Mercy is what you don't get when you don't get what you do deserve. Like, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. But because of Jesus, I don't get it, right? I get mercy. You know some of your times that your spouse makes mistakes and you lay into them? You bring the, 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 the hammer of Thor upon their lives whenever they make a mistake. What, here's a thought. What if you started to extend mercy? What if you eased up just a little bit and didn't have to make a comment about everything and didn't have to criticize everything and didn't have to point out everything that they did. What if you just said, hey, man, I know I make a lot. See, this is, this is why it's easy for me to have mercy is because I make more mistakes than she does. So whenever you're the one that makes more mistakes, you have to be more merciful, right? That's how I do it. And then lastly is this. He says, I want to have a marriage with righteousness, justice, loving kindness, mercy, and faithfulness. I encourage you, your, your spouse should know that you are for them and with them and faithful to them without even a thought or a hint of question. I will never do anything to make you question my faithfulness to you. I'll never put myself in a position. I will never put myself in, in, in a place where I'm vulnerable. I will never, ever, ever do anything to make you think that I am not 100% faithful towards you. Why? Because marriage is spiritual. Here, I'm going to give you a few things. If you, would, if, if you were honest here today and you said, you know what, that's probably the issue that we have in our marriage. You know, we, we, we do this well and we do that pretty well, but I know we're missing something. I want to encourage you, you're missing the divine element, the God element to your marriage. Now, I, I'd like to see you do a few things. And some of you are doing it today, but number one is this. I want you to worship together. There's nothing more powerful to see than a man and a woman holding hands here and lifting hands here. There's nothing more powerful. And when you worship together, see, it's hard to worship together and actually uh, have, have done a bunch of stuff against each other earlier that day or earlier that week. It, it, it's hard to. Something's got to break inside of your heart for you to do this and this. Worship together and watch the walls that you build around your heart. Watch them crumble and fall. Not only that, you know what you should do? And this is really, really tough. Just pray together. Whether it's, whether it's over meals before you go to bed, over your kids, whenever you can, pray together. It, it, hey, let me tell you this. It takes courage, men, to do that. It's not easy. It takes courage for you to do that because when you pray, you have to be vulnerable. Because you can't be doing all kinds of craziness and say, let's pray, Father in heaven. 
That's tough to pull off because, again, as soon as you begin to do that, all of a sudden the light and the conviction of God begins to shine all over your heart, and you realize, I can't do that. And then thirdly is this, serve together. There's nothing more powerful than seeing couples in this church who serve together. Greet at the door, serve in a children's room, who do kingdom work together. There's something really, really bonding about that experience. And God uses a couple together to do kingdom work. It pulls you together. There's something amazing. There's something beautiful about it. Remember this, marriage is spiritual. And if marriage is spiritual, there's got to be the divine element operating inside of it. And I guarantee you this, if you start there, that lays the foundation for everything else. If you go back and start resetting your romance and restart resetting your, your friendship and resetting the way that you talk to one another, I promise you, some of us have drifted a little bit from February when we made out some new goals and some, some new just things I wanna do and get better at. I'm telling you, go back. And as Jesus said, go back and do the things that you used to do. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you that God, before there was sin, there was marriage. And God, even before there was family, there was marriage. Before there was a church, there was marriage. Before there was Jesus on a cross, there was marriage. God, that, that when you started creation, you looked at a man and said, there's something not right about him, it's not good for him to be alone. And you created woman as the answer to that problem. And you joined two people together and you said that two flesh would become one and God, that was your first Step. God, that was your first real plan. That was the first thing you did with mankind, the apex of all your creation. You put them together. God, I thank you that marriage done your way can be an amazing and fulfilling and beautiful thing. God, help us to do it your way. I think some of us need to just have that moment, and I'm going to give you a moment, and we're just going to take 30, 40, 40 seconds here. I want you to have a moment of prayer on your own. Say, you know, some of us need to confess that, God, I didn't do it your way. I did it my own way and it's led to some different problems and different obstacles and different issues right now. But God, I want to do it your way. And I can't change the past, but bless God, I can reset my future. God, I want to do it your way. And I didn't always do it your way in the past, but God, I want to make a decision today to do it your way. Your prayer might be something like that. God, help me to do it your way. God, help reshape my thoughts, my feelings. God, I don't want to mail it anymore. God, I want to work at my marriage. I want to be the greatest source of encouragement. God, help me to change my language and my words and the way that I talk. James said it like this. He goes, every one of us should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. What if we all did that when it came to our words? God, I want to reset my friendship. I want to enjoy coming home to my spouse. Like, look forward to it. Like, be in traffic, annoyed with traffic, but knowing I get to go hang out with my best friend when I get home. How awesome would that be? To have your spouse be your best friend. There's no magic bullet. There's no perfect, perfect prayer that you can pray this morning. If there's any encouragement that I can give you, it's this, is that you need to pray and ask God for his help in this endeavor and then get to work. Because when you work at marriage, marriage works. And as soon as you stop working at your marriage, marriage don't work so well. But God is with you and God is for you and God has given you some blueprints. As you pursue him and follow him, invite him into your marriage. I know. 
that he can bless your marriage. He can restore your marriage. Father, we thank you this morning that you are with us and that we are not alone. This isn't a coin flip. This isn't 50-50. Because, God, we will surrender our lives to you, God. So speak to us today, God, as, as wives, knowing what to do next. For some of us, it may be going to our spouse and just saying, you know what, I was wrong for this, and I'm sorry. I haven't been doing this, and I want your forgiveness. And I'm going to be doing it better, and I want your help in doing it better. For some of you guys, same thing. Hey, I haven't been this for you, and I'm going to work harder at that. Whatever it is, know this, that God's grace is upon you. That God believes in you more than you believe in him. And that God loves you more than you love him. And that he's absolutely for you. Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we all said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.